Well, good morning. Roger was hoping to be up here this morning, uh, continuing his series in the book of James. Unfortunately, his immune system had other ideas, and he called me on Tuesday and asked me to pinch hit for him and preach, and then I subsequently became ill as well. (laughs) But here I am, you're stuck with me today, and hopefully we'll get our guy back next week and get back on the saddle in the book of James. And what I want to talk to you about this morning is church growth. You know, Wayside is growing, and God is clearly doing some great things here. You saw this last week as evidenced by the number of baptisms we had in both services, by the professions of new faith we had in both services. You feel it on Sunday morning as the sanctuary begins to fill up. You feel it on Sunday morning when you come into the parking lot, and if you're two minutes late... You've got to park in another zip code and walk uphill both ways, right? You, fit, you heard it last Sunday at the town hall meeting as Roger and the leadership talked about Wayside's vision of planning a church here in San Antonio in the next 12 to 18, 18 months as Wayside becomes a multi-site church so we can better reach our city with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an exciting time to be here. It's an exciting time to be a part of Wayside, but this morning's message is not about Wayside. And this morning's message is not about numbers. The church I want to focus on this morning is God's universal church of believers everywhere. And the growth I want to talk about this morning is not a growth in numbers, but a growth in maturity. I want to talk about spiritual growth this morning. Now, the New Testament is replete with exhortations for Christians to grow in their faith. This is something that is not only encouraged, but it's commanded throughout Scripture. You look in places like Ephesians 4, 5, and 16, where it says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Philippians 1.9 says, And this I pray that your love may grow more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Romans 8.29 says, For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of the Son. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Paul tells us that part of God's eternal plan is that the church be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That we would increasingly take on the appearance of our Lord in thought, in word, in deed. This process of spiritual growth is called sanctification. The college and singles have heard this so many times that they can recite it in their sleep. But scripture speaks of salvation in three tenses. There is a past tense, there is a present tense, and there is a future tense of salvation. 
The past tense of salvation is justification. This is salvation past. Where we are justified by faith, we are adopted into the family of God. His righteousness is imputed to us and our eternal destiny is secured in him. And it, that justification gives us victory over the penalty of sin, which is death. The next stage is sanctification. This is salvation present. This is where God is conforming us to the image of his son. This is where we are being made new. This is where we are being saved. And now we have victory. We have power. We have victory over the power of sin. So justification, victory over the penalty of sin. Sanctification, victory over the power of sin. And there's a future salvation that is to come called glorification. Then when we go home and we be with the Lord and we enter into that glorified state, we now are given victory over the presence of sin. So justification, victory over penalty of sin, sanctification, victory over the power of sin, glorification, our future victory over the presence of sin. And we who are part of the church, baptized into Christ, are literally, we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. So this process of sanctification, this process of spiritual growth, this thing that happens in between our justification and our glorification, this process that God has divinely commanded and divinely enabled, how does it happen? Well, anytime you take God's sovereignty and you take take man's responsibility and they intersect, there's mystery, amen? Y'all know that full well. But what scripture does give us is a roadmap in regards to how to make that spiritual maturity a reality. And one of the great passages in the New Testament that speaks to this is found in Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. So I invite you to turn there with me now in your Bible to Colossians 3, verses 1 through 17. We are going to look at 17 verses, which I know is pretty ambitious. We're going to go pretty fast. You know, oftentimes, the role of a pastor is not to come up here and tell you something new. It's to come up here and tell you something that you already know and something that we should never forget. And something that we should never forget is that we who are in Christ, we who have believed in the gospel and have received that great gift of salvation from God, which comes by faith, are in the words of Paul, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling we have received. To walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received. And the point of the passage this morning, the point of Colossians 3, the point of spiritual growth, the point of sanctification, is really for us who are in Christ to become practically and progressively what we already are positionally. Spiritual growth is us practically and progressively becoming what we already are positionally, which is in Christ. In one sense, the passage is saying, become what you already are. Become what you already are. And along the way, Paul is going to give us what I see as three key steps along this spiritual growth process. So let's look at them. Starting in verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. You see, long before Paul tells the Colossian church how to act, and what actions and what habits are indicative of Christians, he says, this is how you need to think. This has to be your mindset. He tells the readers to seek the things above. He tells them to set their mind on the things above, not the things that are on earth. He says, hey guys, listen to me. Look here, not here. Seek the things here, not the things here. Get your values from here, not here. Look to your Savior who resides here, not in anyone or anything here. In the following verse, verse 3, Paul tells us why we should look up, why we should seek the things above. He says, for you have died. You have died. And your life is hidden with Christ and God. I believe scripture teaches us a really important truth here about spiritual growth. And this, this is what I see. The spiritual growth we experience during this life will be directly proportional to the understanding we have of our new identity in Christ. Let me say that again. The spiritual growth we experience during this life will be directly proportional to the understanding we have of our new identity in Christ. About 16 years ago, I was at Frontier Ranch, Buena Vista, Colorado, Young Life Camp, sitting out on a rock, looking out there at the Rocky Mountains, when I just truly received God's gift of salvation by faith. That was the moment the hound of heaven chased me down, and he got me. And at that moment, in that moment, I, in a spiritual yet real sense, a spiritual and yet literal sense, I died and became raised with Christ. A few hours later, when I walked back into my cabin, whether or not I knew it, whether or not I felt it, whether or not I understood it, whether or not I knew what regeneration meant, and I didn't, I was different. I had a new identity. I went from being an enemy of God to a friend. I went from a place of fear to a place of security. I went from being a child of darkness to an adopted son in the family of God residing in the light. Paul mentions this idea of death, resurrection, this identity motif in other places in the New Testament. In Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he writes, Therefore, if anyone's in, in Christ, he is a new creature. He is a new creation. Behold, the old is gone. New things have come. 
Spiritual growth in the church will continually be stunted if we lose sight of our identity in Christ. We will function out of fear instead of security. We will function out of doubt instead of confidence. We will function by the power of our flesh instead of the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us and guides us and who works to conform us to the image of the Son. So the number one step to spiritual maturity is to know your identity. An identity that is rooted in Christ as a child of God. Eternally sealed and secured by the deposit of the Holy Spirit from God. Who empowers us to do good works for God that he prepared for us to walk in from all eternity. Know your identity. Step number two is get a new wardrobe. Get a new wardrobe. Look at verses 5 through 11. Paul writes, Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. Notice Paul's argument here. Follow his logic He says, since you have a new identity in Christ, and since now your life is hidden in him with God, therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, dead to impurity, dead to passion, dead to evil. Paul says, hey, guys, that way of acting, that lifestyle, that line of thinking, that's not you anymore. That's not who you are. That's the old you. That's not you. You've got a new identity. Those are the things that got nailed to the cross. Those are the things that Christ came to free you from. Those are the things that God is giving you victory in. Walk in them. This is so important. Though God has dealt with sin and defeated sin once and for all on the cross, as the book of Hebrews tells us, the practical and experiential uh, aspects of this truth still need to be explored by us. He has defeated sin once and for all. We are justified by faith. His righteousness has been imputed to us. But as we live out our life, we still have to experience the realities of that truth. It's imperative. In other words, the Christian life, once again, involves believers in Christ, empowered and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, striving to become what we already are. Striving to become practically and progressively what we already are positionally. 
We have died. We have been justified by faith. We are saved and our life is hidden in Christ. But praise God that he is not done with us. He's not done. He promises to conform us to the image of his son. And this happens as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our life. As we function out of an identity as a son or a daughter of the living God. As we throw off the old self because that's not who we are anymore. And we put on the new self which God has given us. To make this point, Paul uses a fascinating illustration starting in verse 8. He picks a word in the Greek that was used to describe someone taking off dirty clothes and putting on clean garments. That's what that word refers to. So we get to verse 8 and it says, but now you also put them all aside. He's saying, take it off. Get rid of these. Get rid of those clothes. Throw them in the fire. Throw them in the dumpster. Get them off of you. And what are we getting off of us? Anger. Take off anger. Take off wrath. Take off malice. Take off slander. Take off abusive speech. Don't lie to one another. Paul says, put those clothes aside. Those clothes are dirty. They don't fit you anymore. They're not fit for the occasion. You, my friend, have a new wardrobe. You've got a new wardrobe. Look at verse 10. Paul says, put on. Put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Paul says, hey, put on your new clothes, Tom. Hey, Jessica, put on your new clothes. Get rid of those filthy, destructive robes and put on the garments of righteousness. Put them on. You know the ones that God's given you? The ones that continue to renew you and conform you to the image of the Son? Wear those. In other words, this is one of the only times it's okay to dress like your father. Dress like your dad. Dress like your boss. Put on his clothes that he has graciously provided you. As many of you know, before coming to Wayside, I spent eight years as a teacher and a coach in the public schools. And at O'Connor High School for six years, I coached football and baseball. And in baseball, I had to wear a jersey. Now, this is kind of beside the point, but I don't know why baseball coaches have to wear uniforms. We're not going to play. You don't see football coaches in shoulder pads. You don't see basketball coaches wearing jerseys. But baseball coaches, there we are in baseball uniform. I don't get it. But that doesn't matter, right? But what if I came up to the stage this morning to preach in a baseball uniform? What would you guys think? Most of you guys would probably laugh, ha ha, and then like look for a punchline. Like here he goes, he's going to say something funny about being in a baseball uniform. But what if I got up here in my spikes, my ball cap, my eye black, my wristbands, and I got up here and I said, all right, here we go, babe. Here we go. Open up, clutch three, let's go to work. Here we go, here we go. And then I started doing baseball signs right here. And I started, what in the world would y'all think? Besides obviously thinking that I'm going to need some serious counseling or some long-term unemployment benefits, 
Those of you who know my background would probably come up to me and you say, hey, Michael, can I talk to you? I'd say, yeah, what's up? And you say, hey, Michael, you do realize you're not a coach anymore, right? You're a pastor now. Michael, 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 Wayside hired you to be the college and singles pastor. It's a done deal. It's official. Michael, they gave you an office up there. You resigned from O'Connor. You don't work there anymore. You work at Wayside now. And this is what Paul is telling the Colossians. They have been saved. They have been raised with Christ. They've been hired at their new job, so to speak. They resigned from their old job and they can't go back. And what they need to do now is function from their new position. They must function from their new position. They need to live out their new reality. They need to understand their new identity and live accordingly. And so do we. Now all of us who have been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ... All of us who have been justified by his blood, all of us who make up God's universal church, every single one of us still struggles with those old clothes. Amen? Every single one of us struggles with that old self. Those garments of immorality and impurity, they call out to us. And they look attractive over there in our closet. And Paul knows that. Go read Romans 7. Paul knows what it's like to struggle with our old self. But what is Paul's response to that struggle? Paul says, hey, you died. And your life is hidden with Christ and God. The great preacher Alistair Begg notes that it's not impossible to live in sin as a Christian, but it is incongruous. I love that. It's not impossible to live in sin as a Christian, but it is incongruous. And why is it incongruous? Because we have died and we have been raised with Christ. And our life is hidden in him. So step number one to spiritual maturity is understand your new identity in Christ. Step number two is get a new wardrobe. And step number three is put on your new clothes. Put on your new clothes. Let's look at verses 12 through 17. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. 
What a passage. There's so much to talk about in these six verses. We could spend a month here. Instead, we're going to spend about 15 minutes. <laughs> After talking to us about identity and the actions that don't align with our new identity, Paul closes the section and says, hey, this is what does align with your new identity. But before he does that, don't miss this. In verse 12, Paul describes these folks who have this new identity, these folks who are in Christ. He describes them with three words. Three words. He says, you are chosen, you are holy, and you are beloved. Now, I want to ask you all a question this morning. If I came up to you before the service this morning, I said, hey, what do you think God thinks when he thinks about you? What is God's view of you? What would you say? What would be your response? I want you to imagine for a second that there's a conversation going on in heaven right now between God and one of his angels. And God looks down on his creation and he sees me. And he says to the angel, hey, you see that guy down there? And the angel says, yes, sir. God says, you know the skinny, goofy looking one? The angel says, yes, sir. He says, that's Michael Loudermilk. He's one of mine. He's chosen. I chose him to be in my family. He was dead in his trespasses without a prayer. He was a child of darkness, but I got him. I chose that guy. He's one of mine. And I knew him from the beginning of time. And the angel's like, wow, you are amazing, God. That's amazing. And the guy says, you know what else? And the angel says, what? And God says, that guy right there is holy. And the angel says, whoa, time out. Time out. God, I know you're God and you're always right, but that louder milk guy, he is not holy. Have you seen how he acts with his wife sometimes? God says, I've seen it. Have you seen how he loses his temper with his kids? God says, I've seen it. Angel says, have you seen Loudermilk's thought life? Angel says, I mean, God says, I know. The angel says, have you seen how he acts when the Aggies lose in football? God says, too many times. Too many times, right? The angel says, I know who Loudermilk is. And one thing he is not is holy. That's one thing he is not. God responds, he is holy, but not because, not because he does everything right. First off, he's holy because he's been made holy by me through the blood of Christ. He's been set apart by me. He's been called out by me. He's been made a benefit of Christ's righteousness by me. And I tell you what, angel. He's starting to figure it out a little bit. He's starting to figure it out. He's starting to function from an identity of sonship. He's starting to put off the old self and put on the new self. And he stubs his toe quite a bit. There ain't no doubt about that. And I crack the whip on him sometimes. I got to discipline him. But we're working on him. And I feel pretty confident 
that we're going to complete what we began. We have a 100% success rate in that regard. Finally, God says, and you know what else, angel? And the angel's just like, what? God says, I love that Michael Loudermilk. You love him? What in the world for? What has he done? God says, nothing. It has nothing to do with him earning my love. It has everything to do with the fact that I'm a loving God. I love my church. And I love that guy. Warts and all. Brothers and sisters, a major part of spiritual growth comes from recognizing that as someone who has placed their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, you are chosen, holy, and beloved by the God of the universe who created you. And if you don't want to trust me because I'm just some young, dumb pastor, why don't you trust Paul in Colossians 3? Those are profoundly powerful truths. So as those who are chosen, holy, and beloved of God, how shall we live? What does it look like when the family of God, the church, functions as it should? In other words, what kind of clothes should we be wearing now that we've taken off the ones that we shouldn't be wearing? Paul tells us that our new self, our new life, empowered by the Holy Spirit, should look like this. He says, hey, Put on compassion. Put that one on. Put on kindness. Put on humility. Put on gentleness. Put on patience. Put on forgiveness. And lastly, put on love. Let me ask us a tough question. Have we been wearing these clothes lately? Or are they collecting dust in our closet? And maybe we just grab them on Sunday morning. Are we putting on compassion so that we may love the least of these like Jesus did when he touched the leper? Are we putting on kindness so that we may bring joy and encouragement where there is none like Jesus did when he ate and ministered to the tax collectors and the prostitutes? Are we putting on humility and thinking of others before ourselves like Jesus did, as Philippians 2 tells us, as he left his throne in heaven and took on the form of a man in the flesh? Are we putting on gentleness in a harsh world like Jesus did when he told us to pray for our enemies? Are we putting on patience that we may love those who are difficult to love like Jesus does with us who are difficult to love? Are we putting on forgiveness like our Father in heaven who has forgiven us and commanded us to do the same? And are we putting on love which serves as the buckle that holds all of these together as our Savior commanded us to do when he said, love others as I have loved you? Brothers and sisters, are we wearing the garments of righteousness 
that God has designed specifically for his people? Or are we continually reaching for the old, dirty, nasty clothes of immorality that no longer fit? They no longer fit. Paul goes on to tell us in verse 15 to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. In other words, let the security that we have in him due to our salvation in him breed an attitude of thankfulness towards him as he has called us out of darkness into the body of Christ, the one body, the church. Paul tells us in verse 16 that the mature believers to let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. John spoke about it earlier at Wayside's vision statement. We are a community rooted in the word. The living word, Jesus Christ. The written, the written word, the word of God, which points to the living word, apart from whom we can accomplish nothing. Finally, Paul sums up the attitude and actions of the chosen, holy, and beloved people of God when he gives the spiritual battle cry for the church. In verse 17, Paul says, Whatever you do, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. He says, Whatever it is you say and whatever it is that you do, whatever it is, do it all. For the Lord, his glory, his renowned, giving thanks. Why? Because we have died and have been raised with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I'm a new creation as one who is in Christ. The old things are gone. The new things have arrived. One of my heroes, in closing, is a famous Scotsman that many of y'all probably know, named Eric Little, known as the Flying Scotsman. He was a world-class sprinter in the 1920s, the son of a missionary, missionary parents in China. In the 1924 Olympics in Paris, France, he was by far the favorite to win the 100-meter dash. A few months before the Olympics start, the, the, the schedule comes out for when the races are going to happen. And Little sees that he's supposed to run the 100-meter dash on a Sunday. And this went against his views of the Sabbath as a day where he should not compete. So instead of running as the favorite to win the most prestigious race in the world, Little bowed out and said, I'm not going to run. Instead, they put him in the 400-meter dash. A completely different race. Those of y'all who know track know the 100 and the 400 are not apples to apples. And this was a race that Little had had very little success in. He was pretty mediocre by international standards up until that point. But there he is in the morning, summer morning, 1924. His feet in the blocks, waiting for the gun. And he sprinted out of there. And he sprinted out of those blocks and into legend. As he crossed the finish line, first winning the gold medal in world record time. 
The next year, he went back to China and spent the next 20 years serving as a missionary in China before he died in in a prison camp in 1945. And did you know he was the first gold medalist born in China? And he was a Scottish guy. You got to love how the Lord works and stuff like that. But in the movie, there's a famous line that you know it well. Little and Chariots of Fire, the movie that chronicles his life. Little swings around the final curve in the 400 and goes silent. And we have the words of Little where he says, I believe God made me with a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I can feel his pleasure. Brothers and sisters, as those who are chosen, holy, and beloved of God, do you know that God has made us with a purpose? We have been set apart for his own possession, created for good works, which he has prepared for us long before we were born. We are the church. And I think most of us here realize that. But I want to say something else. Do you realize that God also made us fast? He made us fast. Let me explain. We will always struggle with sin this side of heaven. And we will never completely do away with sin until we're in our glorified state with the Lord. I feel this truth every day. But God has created us and purposed us to experience victory in this life right now. He has equipped us to run this race and to run it well. He has made you fast. He has given you a new identity. He has enabled us to put away our old self and put on the new self. And he has empowered us through the indwelling person and work of the very God who saved us, the Holy Spirit residing in us. So that when we run the race of life, we can experience the victory of God's good pleasure And proclaim to the world the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's pray. Lord God, as I think about this message, um, the reality is that this message was focused on spiritual growth. And yet we know that spiritual growth can only take place when there is spiritual life. And spiritual life can only happen when there's spiritual birth. And God, I pray if there's anybody in here who's never had this spiritual birth, never had this second birth, never had this birth that Jesus explained in Nicodemus in John 3 as a birth that comes from above, I pray today would be their spiritual birthday. I pray today would be the day that the hound of heaven chased them down once and for all. God, I pray that if you're moving in anybody's heart right now, that they would receive the gift of salvation that comes through Christ. That they would come to understand the gospel which says that we are sinners. We have a problem. We are separated from a holy God and there's nothing we can do about it. And yet you have sent a divine solution as you sent your son, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, who went to the cross on our behalf and took our sins for us, dying in our place. And you are calling out for a divinely enabled human response where we say, yes, Lord, yes. I place my trust in you, Jesus. You, Jesus, died for my sins. You, Jesus, 
are my Lord and Savior. God, I pray if that is the cry of anybody's heart today, that they would walk in that truth and understand that they have passed from death into life. Lord God, we thank you for the gift of justification. We thank you for the gift that you're not done with us in our sanctification. And we thank you that even though as believers we wrestle with this sin that is still in us, there will be a day where we experience the glorification that you have for us, where sin will be no more. Thank you, God. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As if you have any um, prayer requests, if, if that's something that God's put on your heart, we'd love for you to come up and talk with one of the prayer partners here or myself. I'll be up front. Um, for the rest of us, have a wonderful rest of your Sunday.